Hello, it is July 6, 2021, and you are listening to The Least Woke Man in America, where every day I guide my audience through a delicate dive into torrential truth. And uh, I hope that everybody had a great 4th of July weekend. Uh, it's an amazing country. I'm sure you all thought about what you're grateful for, how you're grateful to live in this country, how you're privileged to live in this country. So I hope everybody had an awesome 4th of July weekend. I'm sure you had a better weekend than the people who live in Chicago. I can almost guarantee that. And let's all be grateful for that. Um, To start with, I mentioned during my 4th of July podcast that people who are not woke, people like you and I, that we do not apologize for America. We don't apologize for being conservative. We don't apologize for our race. We don't apologize for our gender. We don't apologize for what we believe in because we're not woke. And so our life is not a professional apology tour from start to finish. But since we're not woke, we are not woke. What things should we apologize for? Or what would we apologize for if we were in certain circumstances? Let me give you an example. If you were mayor or a leader in a major American Midwestern city, where in one 4th of July weekend, over 100 people were shot, would you apologize for that? I would. Now, I would apologize for that. I won't apologize for being American. I won't apologize for being white. I won't apologize for being conservative. I won't apologize for being middle class. I won't apologize for any of those things. I would apologize if I was a mayor of a city where that many more people were shot and killed in one weekend. You know what else I would apologize for? I would apologize if I was responsible for a baby being aborted after it was born. I would be responsible if it was a baby that I conceived. I'd be responsible if I was a politician who supported that being legal. I would apologize for that, and I think you would too. I would apologize for allowing a young child, say six, seven, even nine, 10, 11, 12, early teens, to participate in a surgery where their gender, their genitals are permanently mutilated and changed, which can never be reversed down the road if the when the child grows up, sees the light, Maybe you could say gets around normal people and realize what the hell happened. But anyway, um, I would apologize for that if I were responsible for that. If I were responsible for a criminal hurting another person the day after that same person, that criminal, was arrested but then was not in jail because there was no bail and then was out the next day and then hurt another person, which is taking place not daily, hourly, in New York State, I would apologize for being responsible for that. I wouldn't wouldn't apologize if I was a cop. Uh, The police officers have nothing to do with that. They are completely held hostage by the laws. So if I was one of the politicians 
who created those laws. Regardless of how much my diet lacked meat, regardless of the hybrid that I drive around, especially when other people can see it, regardless of all that, regardless of the protest and the boycotts I participated in, if I was responsible for criminals hurting people because they are not out on bail and have absolutely no fear of what repercussions in their entire being, unlike which I don't know where you would have to go in history, frankly, where criminals feel as limited, and, excuse me, have the, a limited amount of fear that they have right now in the state of New York and some other blue states. I don't really think that's true because the United States, regardless of what your average left-wing kook will tell you, overall, even our 200-year, plus 200, now 246-year history, has there been mistakes made? Yes, but overall, compared to, let's span the history of mankind, the Middle Ages, the Soviet Union, Cuba, Africa, and even in contemporary times, uh, the Middle East, for God's sakes, how are criminals treated? Bad. So there is a deterrent, big time, as far as fear of breaking the law. I remember talking to a Syrian woman a couple of years ago about this war, uh, civil war in Syria, and she was not exactly as against Assad as you would think. I think he's a terrible guy, and I didn't feel like arguing with her, but it was still very interesting to talk to her for a good 45 minutes. She's in the U.S. as a refugee. She's an attorney practicing here now, so it was a really interesting conversation. But what I was surprised at was that she was not completely against the side. And one she thing she mentioned, one of the first things she mentioned, just to show you, regardless of nationality, race, gender, religion, etc., how the deep primal need for protection is so important amongst a group of people when talking about their government. She's the first thing she said was. I could be coming home from a nightclub at three o'clock in the morning and I absolutely was not worried about being mugged or raped or someone stealing my money. She goes, I am, listen to this, I am way more afraid when I go out in Syracuse where I live in New York State, and she has no political agenda, if anything, she's probably a Democrat, than I was living in Syria under Assad. Think about that. So... No matter how much your Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg-worshipping crazy liberal aunt wants to talk down to you how you don't know what you're talking about, you're just crazy right-wing nonsense, blah, 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 because they're evolved. Well, I got news for you, sister. There is no evolution taking place, and it goes back thousands of years. Human beings expect their government to protect them. And when it doesn't, that's usually the beginning of the end of that government. I'm not saying that the government of the entire United States is gearing that way. But in these blue states, there is a reason ammunition. You cannot buy ammunition anywhere. Anywhere. And, and it's, it's incredible. If I was a politician in charge, I'd be insulted that the average that ammunition is being bought up so much because that's such a vote of no confidence. Instead, they're so pathologically arrogant 
they're, you know they're rolling their eyes somewhere about all those crazy gun nuts. Not knowing it's because of them and their weakness and the lack of confidence, which is fueling all that. So I just went over the list of all the things that you and I should not apologize for, but because of our internal constitution, maybe you say conscience, that if we were put in certain positions, we most certainly would apologize for because the behavior is so completely abnormal and destructive and repulsive to us. We would apologize for those things. We would apologize for running cities where hundreds of people are killed routinely. Um, and, and this holiday weekend in Chicago was a national embarrassment. Why Why is it? Why Can someone explain this to me? Why are right-wing people so much more frustrated about Chicago and what's taking place there than Democratic people? Uh, I mean, because I know how they will construe why we are upset. Uh, because we're racist and we like to make fun of Chicago and we use it as an example. And I don't even think they realize, I don't know about you, there's the pride part of it where it's an American city that looks worse than any third world country. Not, well, just about any of them. Maybe not as bad as Haiti or some of the other ones, but it's a disaster. It's a national embarrassment from a pride standpoint. Let's not kid ourselves. And then there's the human standpoint. We are the knuckle draggers of the country, us right wingers. Yet we are the ones that are like, taken back by kids and you know people just going to church on sunday getting shot and killed and the lori lightfoot group you know they have that that look on their face that any i'm sure you've seen it on any left-wing friend of yours or family member where they just stare right ahead with that vacant look on their face where when you really grill them and you're just the idiot that's not getting it, while at the same time, that arrogant, vacant look is all they can do because they cannot articulate in a rational, cogent manner what the hell their point of view is as far as the problem and solving the problem. And it's the lack of emotion that, like you, even though they're supposed to be the more, more emotionally intelligent, the more compassionate, the more blah, 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 that terrifies me. They'll just look ahead with that blank look on their face like she does. And to us right-wing people, there's more of a sense of urgency. Let's get in there and let's fix this. It's crazy. It's embarrassing. People are dying. And they are so crazy. They will twist it around that our sense of urgency, like they did with Trump, having a sense of urgency, having healthy masculine energy where you see a problem and you want to fix it makes you a bad person rather than being a Obama-esque, aloof jackass that can just sit there with all types of bedlam taking place, sit back and that professorial rubbing of the chin and thinking it through makes you the high and mighty one. It's Neville Chamberlain on steroids from Maine to California and all, all it is. You know, that's that's the goal. You know, be a Churchill, not a Chamberlain. Face reality, see things for the way they really are. And it, I understand it becomes torturous from time to time, especially if you live in a blue state, because you can see there's that problem and it can be solved. There's that problem it can be solved. And there's that problem it can be solved. And while you have some psychopath in Albany named Cuomo or some babbling dunce congresswoman named AOC 
They're the ones who are supposed to be fixing it. While, like I said, just having the most aloof attitude to heinous situations and fixable situ fixable situations. That that is the crazy part. So much of this is fixable. So it's just crazy. Now, now uh, since we're talking about people like Cuomo, um, the subject of evil. I was dumbfounded to find out. <laughs> a lot of my friends just cannot believe how much time I spend um on left-wing news websites it's kind of a joke among us but hey listen there's a reason we spend so much money on the cia you have to know what the bad guys are up to okay most people don't realize that so yes i do listen to uh or read left-wing sites so michael wolf has reemerged. so i don't know if any of you remember michael wolf he's guy that wrote the book fire and fury about trump and it was a just a sales letter of lies what i what i've told people about him is that uh, and i wrote a facebook post about this at the time and i can't find it but what i pointed out was that i mean he's he, he's a demon from the first of all from the underworld he's a pathological liar but his business approach is evil genius because what he does is he takes about 40 or 50 lies that he knows the Trump derangement syndrome group, and there's a lot of them, will just eat right up. And then he twists those lies in a way at the same time he's feeding them what they need to hear, uh, just miserable divorcees, just left-wing kooks from coast to coast, while at the same time sprinkling with stuff that he knows will erodes, erode Trump's base and alienate trump from his base and it's quite a combination because in this most recent one he talks about how during the uh quote-unquote insurrection trump said to his aides he was embarrassed by how his followers look how they dress how he should start like maga tattoo parlors around the country so it's just like the last time where he was in at same time selling books feeding the tds crowd and trying to alienate Trump from his base all at the same time. He is the guy that if you go on YouTube, type in Mika, he's the one, Mika Brzezinski, as crazy as she is, threw him off the show because it, he uh, was uh, alluding to or saying that Nikki Haley and Trump had an affair. Of course, it was just him. I mean, even the other left-wing news outlets did not run with us. It was so crazy. So Mika, to her credit, and this is all I'll give her credit for, actually threw him off the show and went to commercial because it was so repulsive. Now, the fact he is back and he is being quoted again on left-wing sites is just, uh, they're their group of people between Russia, 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 storming down. What Daniels, right when you think they can't outdo themselves, there's such a lack of scruples and such a ruthlessness that they, they they pull it off. And so I saw him on there, and I was just completely, completely dumbfounded. And he's one of those guys that is successful, quote-unquote successful, from a Washington, D.C. standpoint. And, you know, the money, the connections, all that type of stuff. But, you know... There might be people out there right now who are farmers and truck drivers and attorneys and accountants and 
maybe sometimes you feel like your life is a grind and you might not have the wealth or the success you want, but just thank God there's some type of substance there because this guy is just a complete, like he said, he's a demon. Um, so I was thinking about that and it's amazing to me the people, he, he wrote this book knowing people will buy it. Let's, let, let's not kill our, kid ourselves. The publisher gave him money. Uh, he wrote it. And he's doing the same tricks I've noticed where he, he creates a list of stuff he's going to put in there, lies, and then he writes the book around these lies, uh, some real doozies. But the fact is, the point of the matter, what I'm trying to say is TDS, Trump de derangement syndrome, has become an industry in this country. I am always amazed in this country, the things that turn into an entire industry. Uh, what was it? Yoga is now a 12 billion dollar industry in this country. Bass fishing is a $60 billion industry in this country. Trump derangement syndrome is becoming a mini industry. I take screenshots of CNN.com. I saw them to my friends just to laugh. A couple months ago, now remember, we're in July now. This was in May. Joe Biden was elected in November. In May on CNN.com, one random night, the main story and all five sub-stories were about either Trump, the Trump organization, or Trump's kids. Crazy. And those stories would not be on there if these kooks were not clicking the links. That's what I'm trying to say. And he wouldn't be writing this book if he didn't know he was going to get interviews and promote the book and go on different websites would have quotes from the book. It is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, he is part of the uh, crowd that... We really got to know. I mean, this whole, let's not kid ourselves, from 2015, when Donald Trump came down that escalator in Trump Tower, uh, to right now, July of 2021. If you combine the 2015 Republican primaries, the 2016 presidential race of him and Hillary, he got elected. Uh, then we went into fake Russia, 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 and fake Stormy Daniels. That was, I mean, literally the, the Ukraine thing, and then literally the Ukraine impeachment vote was getting over with. COVID hits. We go into the next election. It's been one hell of a ride for this country. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. So, and during that period, we have come across some serious characters. It is just amazing. And Wolf is one of them. If you had, look, look at Wolf. Look at Michael Avenetti, the the uh, Stormy Daniels attorney, who's one that co you know coached her on about the Trump affair. He's also had the uh, one client that tried to go after Kavanaugh, and then she realized she can go to prison. She called him out that it never happened, and he tried to get her to do it. And Michael Wolf, and then Hunter Biden, crack addict, <laughs> slept with his dead brother's widow and her sister. I did not know that until recently. I was listening to Ben Shapiro's podcast. Hunter slept with his dead brother's widow and then later on her sister, just so you know. And, you know, then obviously this deals with China and the crack smell, smoking and, and, and the list goes on and on. So it, it's really incredible. I mean, the, the thing you get older, evil people, uh, when you, when you think about them, I think the initial knee-jerk reaction is always, 
uh, let's not kid ourselves. You feel relieved that you're not them. They might make you feel a little bit better about yourselves. Like, yeah, I, I might drop some f bombs and tell some fibs from time to time, but at least I'm not Hunter Biden. I think, <laughs> I think that's the normal reaction. But I think a more deeper humility-based approach sometimes, which is kind of healthy, is that you know we all have a little touch of Michael Avenatti and or Michael Wolf or Hunter Biden inside of us is just, you want to keep it at bay. All right. You take the nicest person you ever met, Fred Rogers. Remember Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers had little Michael Evanati and Hunter Biden. He just had the introspection and the conscience to keep it at bay. And he really worked on a spiritual life. He's a very devout Christian and obviously the fruit blossom. And he was as far as those people as you could be. So we all have a little bit in there. There's an old axiom, your demons can be your best teachers because you look at past behavior and go, whoa, that was really bad. And then it makes you want to be a better person. I, I think you could say that about uh, the president of the United States' son, that uh, you just look at this group and it is just incredible. I mean, are, are there some people on the right that I have problems with who I don't think are the most scrupulous people? Absolutely. But this Michael Wolf thing, it, it just, it, it really floored me. I know he's not a household name. I know people on the right could probably care less about him, but he is just the epitome of what the uh, this Trump derangement, the combination of Trump derangement and the complete lack of truth on that side. It's uh, they are so proud of where they are. They're part of the my truth versus your truth thing, which only five-year-olds and crazy people were known to talk like that 30 years ago. But now it's commonplace. The postmodernists have won where everybody runs around all day with their own truth, which again, I don't know, probably made sense in a psych ward at some point, but now it's the way we're all supposed to live. So we'll see where the Michael, the wolf thing goes, but I have to admit, and I'm going to really follow that because the guy, if you look at him, just his appearance alone, I don't like to just go by that, but my God, it, 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 he is like something that crawled out of hell. Last thing is the student loan situation. And I don't know if you saw this, the Democrats seem to be, think the ultimate solution for the student loan problem in this country, this is just wipe it all away. Just as usual, the solution to everything is with a vote and a pen in a government, and that's how you pretty much create reality. And so I, I am just completely taken back by that. I, I, I Like anybody who's lived in reality, I know people who received degrees from good colleges and still had to deliver pizza, work retail on the weekends, take a second job. If they were able to get a house, it was like a two-family house and live in one apartment and use the rent for the other one. All types of sacrifices well into their 30s, sometimes late 30s for student loans. What in the hell type of message do you send when you just forgive it for a group of people after another group of people went through all that? It is so ridiculous. After, I think it was Marco Rubio who led the whole um, restructuring plan. I, I can't go into the details, but where by you pay so much of it based on your income. And I support it. I thought that was a good compromise between waving it all out, which is nuts. But on the other hand, it does acknowledge the fact, let's not kid ourselves, so many people in this country were screwed by this. They are at a susceptible age, 16, 17, 18 years old, signing on to these tens of, tens of thousands of dollars in debt. 
I, I could always think to myself, the thing I always say, where the hell were the adults when this was taking place? The parents, the guidance counselors. It, it, well, I'm not going to say the colleges because we all know they were at the take. You know, Jane Sanders, while she was espousing her socialist enlightenment from coast to coast, she was getting rich up in Vermont, you know, via a college, for God's sakes. And it wasn't the rich kids' parents who could write the big checks that were making Jane Sanders rich. It was student loan money, money that's still being paid back to this day. The whole thing bothered me. I'll, I'll tell you right back in my mid-20s, I'm 42 now, in my mid-20s back in the early 2000s, I had mentioned to people that this was going to be a disaster. I'm not like trying to sell a know-it-all. It could not be more clear to me. So... <clears throat> I mentioned this to people, but that's when everyone was so trapped in the paradigm that there was no limit to how much you spend on education, public education, post-secondary education. It didn't matter because you always get the money back and education was sacrosanct and it was the answer to all life's problems and blah, blah. And my God, God, if you question that, especially at the age I was at, my mid-20s, there were certain people, they could have been family, friends, you name it, you could see the Satan right in their eyes, the, like as far as the reaction of wanting to freaking kill me. So I kept my mouth shut. And it's one of those things I just knew it was going to be bad. I remember talking to people who had just graduated at upstate from upstate New York, liberal arts colleges, decent colleges, but $28,000 salaries with $85,000 in debt. It, it was just a disaster. And you can't go bankrupt against student loans. There's no way to get out from underneath them. So, and there was some of the financial experts to their credit, as much as Susie Orman drives me nuts sometimes, even she was warning about that. So now it's a disaster. And of course, the government created the damn problem by creating the industry in the first place. I'm not against some type of subsidy, the, the, the principle behind them, but they just, just like the mortgage disaster in 08, so many people were getting rich, including Wall Street, put the pedal to the metal, got as many kids as in debt as possible, got everybody drinking the Kool-Aid about education being the life, answered everybody's problems. And next thing you know, wow, what happened? Oh, trillions of dollars in debt, kids can't buy houses, they're living with their parents. And it was just classic example of where nuts and bolts, like I said before, Churchillian facing reality, facing what's real, facing what the consequences are going to be, whether it's Adolf Hitler or uh, Elizabeth Warren and the Sanders and their promotion of college and student loan debt, it, it was going to be a disaster. And it was. So... I just cannot believe it. I don't. It looks like the student loan, the entire forgiveness situation, it's not going to take place in the Senate. So that's that. Thank God, because the precedent that would send, and the other problem with that is, um, no learning takes place if it's just all forgiven. I can guarantee you, as miserable as some people in this country are right now, as I speak about their student loans, and I'm not happy about that, they will be so much more responsive and wise when it comes to whether that's their siblings or friends or especially their own kids someday and, and beyond just even student loans debt for anything so if, as, as far as that is concerned um and it's sad human nature being in a way it is it has to take place that way but they will be so much more attentive and have so much more awareness 
when anybody they know signs up for any type of debt. And unfortunately, it has to take place before it happens, which, which is a good thing. So that is how learning takes place. On the other hand, to just pass a peach, one, just yet another example in this country where the government passes something and poof, the problem is gone. And I mean, you couldn't go from further ends of the spectrum. I mean, one end is the classic trust fund baby aloofness. I mean, sometimes you can make the case in this country, it's like 320 million trust fund babies, the way the government stands, steps in and tries to take care of everything. And there's a price to be paid for that at some point. Hopefully it's not as severe as some people are saying, but we'll see. So hopefully you found this entertaining. I Maybe I should have started with a student loan. I know no one in this society likes we could uh, end on a negative note. We could end it on a more positive note. But uh, trust me, my friends, there's many more positive notes ahead in the future. Thank you.